Hey, welcome back, guys, to another week. God bless you guys. I hope you guys had an amazing weekend. And today we're going to be breaking down Revelations chapter 11 that I said we would discuss last week about the two witnesses. And if you guys recall, last week we spoke on the angel and the little scroll. And now we're going to speak on the two witnesses. So let's start off with verses... One And verse 1 says, I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar with its worshiper, worshipers, but exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it has been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months. Okay, and this temple is most likely a symbol of the church. Uh, in other words, all true believers, because there will be no temple in the New Jerusalem. John measured the temple to show that God is building walls of protection around his people to spare them from spiritual harm and that there is a place reserved for all believers who remain faithful to God. And those worshiping inside the temple will be protected spiritually, but those outside will face great suffering. And this is a way of saying that true believers will be protected through persecution, but those who refuse to believe will be destroyed. Now going on to verse 3. Um, it says, and I will appoint my two witnesses and they will prophesy for a thousand two hundred and sixty days clothed in sackcloth. Okay. Now these two witnesses bear strong resemblance to Moses and Elijah. Okay. Moses and Elijah, two of God's mighty prophets with God's power. Moses called plagues down upon the nation of Egypt, which you can read about in Exodus chapter eight. And Elijah defeated the prophets of Baal found in first Kings chapter 18. Now, both of these men appeared with Christ at his transfiguration, which is found in Matthew 17. Okay. And in the book of revelation, numbers are likely to have symbolic rather than literal meaning. Okay. The 42 months or, uh, excuse me, or 1,260 days equals three and a half years. Now I'm going to repeat that the 42 months or better yet, 1,260 days are equals to three and a half years. As half of the perfect number seven and three and a half can indicate incompletion, imperfection, or even evil. Now, notice the events predicted for this time period. There is trouble, okay? In like you can see in Daniel 12 and 7, the holy city is trampled, found in verse, I mean chapter 11, verse 2. The woman takes refuge in the desert, found in chapter 12, verse 6, and the devil-inspired beast ex exercises his authority. Okay, found in chapter 13, verse 5. Now, some commentators link the three and a half years with the period of famine in the days of Elijah. Okay, since Malachi predicted the return of Elijah before the last judgment, and since the events in Daniel and Revelation paved the way for the second coming, perhaps John was making this connection. Okay, it is possible, of course, that the three and a half years are literal. So we will clearly recognize when the three and a half years are over, whether symbolic or literal. However, they indicate that evil's reign will have a definite end. Now I'm going to go to verse seven and it says, now when they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. Now this beast could be Satan or an agent of Satan. Going to verse 8, their bodies will lie in the public square of the great city, which is figuratively called Saddam and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. 
And going on to verse 9 that says, For three and a half days, some from, some from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. Now Jerusalem, once the great city and the capital of Israel, is now enemy territory. It is compared um, with Saddam and with Egypt, both well known for their evil. At the time of John's writing, Jerusalem had been destroyed by the Romans in AD 70. Now nearly a million Jews had been slaughtered and the temple treasures had been carried off to Rome. Okay, now going on to verse 10, the inhabitants of the earth will glow over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. Now, as representatives of every believer who has witnessed for Jesus Christ, the two final faithful witnesses are a picture of both truth, I'm sorry, of invisibility and vulnerability. They win, they lose, they win again. Truth remains victorious even though human channels fall. Now, their message and God's plan march on in spite of, you know, death, for even death proves to be a defeated foe. Okay, seldom do we face the possibility of death when we share our faith. Why should Satan threaten our lives when we fear of embarrassment or rejection is enough to keep us silent? But if Jesus has truly changed our lives, we will find a way to let others know. Not to witness represents more than just fear. It also reveals selfishness and having those near you hear what Jesus has done for you. Wouldn't that be the message that you want to relay on those that know you and want to know how your life has changed. I know it would be for me. Okay. So now moving on to verse 13, it says at that very hour, there was a severe earthquake and a tenth of the city collapsed. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake and the survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. Now the ultimate goal of God's saving plan is that everything in creation will glorify him. Glory refers to the splendor, the radiance, the magnificence of God. It refers not only to God and his essential nature, but to the praiseworthy effects of what God has accomplished. We glorify God because his glory is true. His glory is real. And we acknowledge his greatness. In doing so, we see our rightful position as his servants and when we glorify him in our singing speaking and our living we experience some of his transcend uh, transcendence and thus edify and uplift our own spirits you know glorifying god prompts us to moral action and loving service in other words now moving on to verse 15 the seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said and i quote The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. Now the seventh trumpet is sounded, announcing the arrival of the king. There is now no turning back. The the coming judgments are no longer partial, but complete in their destruction. And God is in full control, and he unleashes his full wrath on the evil world that refuses to turn to him. When his wrath begins, there will be no escape. Okay? Now on to verse 16, where it says, And the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their face and worshipped God, saying, and I quote, 
We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your people who revere your name, both great and small, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. Okay? Now, in the Bible, God gives rewards to his people according to what they deserve. Throughout the Old Testament, obedience often bought reward in in this life, like in Deuteronomy chapter 28. But obedience and immediate reward are not always linked. If they were good people, would always be rich, and suffering would always be a sign of sin. If it were quickly rewarded for every faithful deed, we would soon think we were pretty good. Before long, we would be doing many good deeds for purely selfish reasons. So, while it is true that God will reward us for our earthly deeds, our greatest reward will be eternal life in his presence. Okay? Now, verse 19 goes on to say, and this is the last uh, verse of chapter 11, Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant. And there came flashes of lightning, rumbling, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a severe hailstorm. Now, in the Old Testament days, the Ark of the Covenant was the most sacred treasure of the Israelites' nation. Now, for more information about the Ark, you can go back to Exodus chapter 37, verse 1. And next week, we're going to go ahead and begin uncovering the woman and the dragon, which is chapter 12. And it has to do with observing the great conflicts. So stay tuned for next week, the book of Revelations, chapter 12, observing the great conflict that has to do with the woman and the dragon. Now you guys have yourself a blessed day.